Blog Talk Radio. Hi everybody, welcome to the New Orleans Vegas Psychic Hour. Well, we would love to hear from some of you today. 914-338-0164 is the caller number. Do press one if you'd like to speak with us. And we would love if you joined us on Facebook and on Twitter. Those accounts are linked on Block Talk Radio where you may follow us as well. Neil and Kristen Baker Psychics. And again, that call in number, 914-338-0164. You know, I was thinking about our caller after the show. I'm slow on the draw. I'm slow on the draw, I guess. But um, I was thinking about our caller after uh, on Wednesday's show. What was her name? Shanice, right? Yeah. Shanice. Um, her son was a 14-5, and it was interesting. She wears those bracelets on her arm, and she was talking about them being green and blue and interestingly he is a 14-5 so those green and blue bracelets actually um, or represent the four in his karmic number and the five in his master number color wise yeah. interesting and now 14's gotten a bad rap because apparently yeah. the uh, the um, Certain sex, CTS, uh, believe that 14 represents, I think it's 14 words or something regarding, uh, I'm not sure what it's about, I can't recall, but it's in regard to uh, white supremacy and that kind of thing. Well, but actually 14 in numerology is not a negative number. Uh, but, of course, you know, every number seems to be getting, every number at some point has a bad rap. You know, it, there's something always to be said about every number in the book, as opposed to being a positive, which brings us to the idea of this sense of duality, <clears throat> even between uh, the the body, the mind, and the soul. Uh, even the greatest physicists, somehow have some concept of God. Einstein uh, had some attitude that there must have been a creator, some organized mind behind the universe. Uh, There have been others that have felt this way. And when we get into the idea of when we have this, when we talk about intelligence, training, by the way. It's raining. It's raining. Yeah. I was wondering what that sound was. 
when we talk about intelligence, uh, we're also talking about the idea is intelligence part of instinct. And then we walk, walk down the line saying instinct part of the soul. When we say the word instinct, we're dealing with the survival instinct. Uh, are we born with instinct? That's a big question. Well, I mean, some, some, I mean, we're we're born. Our 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 birth rate when we're born, we have an instinct to want to ultimately stand on our feet. Uh, there are certain instincts that we have. We we sense hunger and we have the instinct to cry for food. There are certain reactions bodily that we have in terms of the idea of instinct. But then instinct went on to become a more sophisticated term. So now we don't just arrange instinct around our bodily needs, but we include in the word instinct learned behavior as well. So, So when we have the word instinct as opposed to learning, it's not our instinct to, to um, understand mathematics, but it may be our instinct to uh, to seek food, or to you, seek something, or urinate. Yeah, or, but well, that's not instinct. That's just the that they even have public restrooms the instinctual <laughs> human being yeah. and the more uh, creative human being. <laughs> the, the urinals and the instinctive are just holes in the ground. The other ones have the urinals um, and whatnot. So when we're trying to separate the idea of, of the entire region of our brain and we're trying to figure out what part of the brain is instinct, what part of the brain is learning, have the two crossed over the bridge and commingled over the centuries and eons and time? You know, where does this all come from? Not to mention the idea that the mind and the soul are distinct areas of the brain as well. The soul being in the brain in terms of the concept of abstractions, like believing in God, believing in angels. This has nothing to do with intelligence. To believe in God may be a learned thing. You go to church, you go to synagogues, you go to the mosque, and you you learn to believe in God. God isn't something that we come into the world with. Now, there have been studies of chimpanzees in the wild that are fascinated with waterfalls. They look at waterfalls with pure fascination. There are animals that that look at the stars and the moon with pure wonderment. Now, what are they thinking? What part of this awareness of the universe creates this energy? Not to mention the sense of migrations and navigation. All of these things are part of the instinctual, quote, instinctual slash learned environment. Well, well, not only that, but, you know, when animals start to, uh, animals, when animal behavior includes 
caring for other species. So beyond what would normally be termed or deemed instinctual behavior when they save another species yeah. or their own species from death or certain death, um, that would be termed beyond instinct. Yeah, there are, of course, there are animals that take on the fathership or mothership of different kinds of animals. I'll never forget this old Bowman Bear in the zoo that saw a bird flew into its, its bath pond and was drowning, and the bear very gently took its paw and took the bird out of the water and just walked kind of sadly back to its little cemented cage bin. Okay. But, the, you know, the idea that there is an instinct. There, there well, the is The instinct to, to save. To save, to protect. And it does sometimes, oftentimes, cross the line. But know. then when there's bonding with other, other, you know, not only their own their own species, but when you, know, you see these, these pairs of, of animals that are very unlikely companions, like, you know, a duck and a dog that become best friends and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, when we get down to the root problem of the instinct factor, we could say firemen instinctually inclined to save, policemen, doctors, the root system even our show, our instinct to want to help others out there. When you get down to the to the core issue of how we have become sophisticated human beings, but it stems from the idea of instinct, which is survival, saving, the crucial element of, of life itself, stripped of any meaning other than the preservation of life. And so if there's the preservation of life, there's the awareness that we are alive. I mean, not, not too many of us think a dog, a cat, a wolf, a bird, go around thinking, hey, I'm alive. I'm aware I'm alive. They don't have that ability to abstract and externalize their internal structure of, of breath. We as human beings can externalize and and. And, and analyze that we are, in fact, alive. Now, when it gets down to the process of death, a lot of animals know they're going to die, and they go about in an instinctual way, digging a hole, Caring. removing themselves right. from the, the, the clan or the, the, whatever the they're... The flock or the den or the yeah. whatever. They're you don't find too small. many animals that just drop dead. They, they well, go somewhere. They go to somewhere. Hit like by a car. Infamous, you know, um, elephant like burial ground. And how the elephants rub their trunks against the bones. And well, the yeah, horns. you know, it's interesting. I just came across an article online where a pod of dolphins, this mother dolphin had the baby dolphin on her back, a dead baby dolphin, for like two days, and the pod swam around the dolphin, mother dolphin, for two days, mourning yeah. the death of the dolphin. I mean, it's just heartbreaking. So, uh, where where does this come from? 
what is it about the objectivity, the mechanical workings of the brain that bring us into this emotional state of awareness? And that is, to me, a higher intelligence. That's not just instinctual behavior. I mean, there's a higher intelligence there, in my opinion. I mean, maybe scientists would deem that as instinctual, but to me, there's a higher intelligence and an emotional, there's an emotional element there is, you know, there is. And you could say, well, it's to pure instinct. That the the people co- would. The bees collect, uh, protecting the queen. Uh, and there's certain insect environments. The spider connect, uh, protecting its its own egg sac and little the spiders. So when we get into the idea of, and there's also, you know, a carnivorous species, too, that eat their own. So we have this great diversity, this bio-diversity of life. And we can say with, without too much hesitation that life has this strange duality of preserving, creating, being aware, and then the idea that there's also a destructive nature. Right, and you bring up the idea of, you know, what, what did you mention about uh, people that are there to preserve and protect doctors, firemen, uh, I don't know, what the list and policemen, of course, on the other side of the coin are are very corrupt doctors, policemen, firemen. Right. So the general category of the definition of the group is to serve and protect. Right. The model of policemen. Yeah, but they're but like I like I'm saying, I mean we you get into the idea of destruction and people that get into that profession because they are evil. (laughs) And they can you know that's that's that becoming a doctor or a policeman is their way of harming people. And it's easy to do, you know, I mean, not, it's not easy to do because it's not easy to become a doctor or a policeman because you have to go through training, so on and so forth. But it's, it's a way to be able to harm. And if you're a sociopath, then it's a perfect, a perfect platform to be able to harm. Well, actually, it's true, but but actually, the seed of evil the seed of doing harm but. is originated in the idea that we we know we die. So we, we have to be aware of death in order to hurt, maim, or kill. Because we now understand the idea of death. The, the human species is unlike other species to the extent that when, when other species kill, it's usually eat. They very rarely do you have a, a, an animal that just is on a rampage of killing. I mean, it happens, but that's not the typical fashion of the evolutionary stage. Animals, lions aren't crazy. They aren't psychotic. They kill to eat. Hawks, eagles, wolves, wolves they kill to eat. But, but when we get into the human attitude, where we are not basically cannibalistic. Or carnivores. We are omnivores. We're sophisticated carnivores. Well, we, we, omnivores. You know, we, we don't have need... husbandry and we, we kill cattle and chickens and whatnot. <clears throat> we go hunting. The idea that, that there has to, 
first be an awareness that we died. And of course, that must have been way back in prehistoric days where someone didn't wake up anymore and they began to smell. They weren't, they weren't reactive. And so I would imagine that in the element of emotional intensity, the cave people would say, we, we need to bury this. We need to put it away. And so it probably was a, a, a stream of instinct because you remove what's no longer alive, what's no longer visibly active and doesn't remain active. And what happens a lot of times, the animal kingdom, even the primates, won't bury their dead. They just abandon it. They just let it be. They, they realize it's dead. They look at it. They smell it. They may mourn a little bit. And then they all back off like it's a disease. They eventually just let it be, and the rest of the animal kingdom consumes it. What, what we have done, though, and some animals included, we have developed a sophisticated pattern of after death. We have created ceremonies, our, our current funerals, our, our, our funerals, our 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 grave environments. We have created this element. Cemeteries? Cemeteries and such things. We have created this element of intellectual relocation of bodies after life. That there's something we need to do in order to just not have them laying around. Right, and obviously in different cultures, the ceremonies, I mean, there's a variance of ceremony is depending on the culture everybody has their customs from from you know uh, wakes to marches to quiet silent ceremonies testimonials we we have this idea that death will come to all of us and we need to prepare for that at some point so we have reverence for those who have made that cross over because we want to feel that somehow, maybe in some abstraction of thought, the soul will leave the body, the body will rot in the earth, but there's a preservation. I mean, otherwise, if, if we just die, why do anything? Why even bother with all this? And it's a big money-making. It's expensive to die. It's not cheap. And it's costly, and it's timely, and it's got a lot of effort, and there's mourning. So apart from just sheer cold atheists that say, well, that's it, you know, get rid of it, burn it, throw it in the ocean, we have developed this sophisticated attitude of how we take care of that which is no longer alive. Well, we do, I mean, we do cremation, so... Well, well, yeah, but there's still a reverence behind it. I'm saying apart from uh, the attitude of people who believe, well, you just died. There's nothing, you know, don't do anything for me. I'm gone, you know. I don't need anything. And I don't believe I'm going anywhere. That's it. You're born and you die, period. And you experience life as you breathe. 
But the idea that even there, there's got to be a waking awareness that life will come to an end. So when we have this, where does this have to come from? And how we develop this sophisticated, seemingly instinctual attitude about how we deal with life. Because as soon as we think of life, we think of death. We think of preserving life, or we think of ending life. And our whole universe is wrapped around that concept. Everything boils down to life and death. And we operate on that level. Yeah, but there's is certainly a lot of distractions along the way. Well, not, the content within is is up to the author of one's life. Yeah. That, that are the circumstances of fate or karma or creation, creatively speaking. Um, all of that is within the content. But the parameters of existence is life and death. I, I agree. I definitely, definitely. Now, why, in God's name, do we need God? Do we need spirit? Do we need to think there's an afterlife? Of course, there's easy answers, and they're numerous, and they're obvious. But instinctively, why do we need that in order to breathe? Why do We don't need it. We can, right. we can breathe without the thought of a soul or a spirit or God, or an afterlife, they, they aren't part of the instinct factor. It's a rational energy. Now, we may say, well, God planted some thought, sort of thought in our minds so that we all have that awareness. Or some Joe Schmo, the caveman, said, hey, we've got to start thinking about what happens to the soul. What's the soul? Well, I don't know, whatever, you know, our inner... Uh, you know, he, there must have been something that aroused some part of the brain to understand that, that as human beings, there's something about death that doesn't end. So we, the continuation of worshiping, remembering, and doing all sort of things that preserve life. I mean, when you look at it, firemen, policemen, they're there to preserve breath, to preserve life in the immediacy of danger. They're the ones that come in, not to mention armed forces, protecting the nation, things like this. But that instinct, how many parents, you know, lose their breath watching their child maybe on a swing or a slide. Or in a swimming a pool. Just, their hearts are pounding because they may die. Where does this come from? And it's embedded in all of us. But babies don't know it. So it's, is it learned? Something we learn along the way? Or is it a seed that we're born with that just has to bloom? Because it's already been implanted in our brain. So, you know, the... When we get into that idea and we go to a higher advancement of thought between the body and the soul, then we get into a, a more complicated explanation of what it is to exist, what existence is. So what is the content of the soul? When the body dies, what does the soul think about it? 
you know, we, we try to come up with answers. The soul doesn't think about death. And we, we try to put a, a nice pillow around the thought of death that, well, the soul will go to heaven. Or the soul is going to be judged. Or may may he re- may his soul rest in peace. What does that mean? Rest in peace. Does that mean we just have this the big sleep, Philip Marlowe? Or we just have the big sleep, Raymond Chandler? What is the big sleep? I mean, when you're asleep, are you, are you aware what's going on the inside the world? So when you're when you're dead, are you aware of anything going on around you? So what is the soul? You're not going to leave with the brain. What is the content of awareness in the soul? So now we get into an idea for the purpose of our hour. How, what is the brain of the soul? How does the soul think? It's a question I'm asking. How does the soul think? I guess it depends on the person that the soul is attached to. In no, terms no, of the, the, I mean, the soul, well, the person is gone. But in terms of the content of the life of the person that the soul has left, the last life of the person, and that the last, the last, for example, if the person if the if the soul has left a person whose life has been empty in terms of content in terms of spiritual content then the soul's content is going to be diluted but but see the question is uh, how I do mean, we know there's even a content in the soul what is the content of the soul what what is the consciousness of I mean, to have consciousness, you need a brain. Well, we're not going to have our brain. Well, the soul doesn't have so a brain. So how does the soul think? How does the soul speak? How does the soul rationalize? How does the soul even care about anything? So when you get down to it, the atheists have a very good point. Wow. You know, there is no soul. What are you talking about? What? The, you mean this, this, this soul, this, this ghostly thing? has an agenda of thought and an awareness that it's been all around, you know, different lifetimes or, you know, it's meeting with you. And, and, you know, and angels, well, when was the last time you had watched the, your favorite TV show with an angel next to you? So when we get into this idea, you've got to have, you know, there's the courage. The, the only the thing, you might use some kind of personal proof you might just throw the bucket into faith or religious belief and let that be your guiding light. But when you get down to the scientific nitty-gritty of it all, there is no soul. How do you prove it? And how are you going to prove the content? And that's why today is the last day that we'll be broadcasting our show. That's the We're ending the show. The only thing, uh, you know, People can say, well, Ray Charles has soul. He had soul. Had, yeah. So we use this abstraction, even for those of us 
who want to use euphemisms. You know, we gotta we gotta water it down in a way where you know the rest will. Oh well, we don't believe in the soul, but a human being can have a soul because they have a passionate agenda of creativity and they express it. The soul. But, you know, when you get down to it, and you got to have, I mean, I'm talking on the encouragement, on the belief pattern of faith, so I'm not, I'm not willowed by the idea that I, if I say this, I'm not going to believe in the soul. But I have the courage to examine the intellectual premise that there is no soul. Intellectually, there's no soul. But it doesn't disturb my belief in the soul. That's the key word, beliefs. You can believe in anything. Well, I believe there's a soul. But is there one? I don't know. Intellectually, I don't know. So the idea comes now in the in the admiration of wonderment. There's got it there's something in the brain that makes us wonder. That makes us probe something we can't quite understand. But why does the soul have to have a brain? I mean, on an intellectual level, why, as a scientist, does, does the scientist have to say a soul has to have a brain attached to it to be real? Well, then what's the content of the soul? What, what does it matter? Explain what, 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 the, how the soul exists. Why does a soul need to exist? To ha- why does a soul need a brain to exist? Why does the soul need to have a neurological system not, no, to exist? The question exist? is, what does the soul exist on other than a brain? What does it matter? Why, why, what does it well, matter? You're using the word matter. Ma- it, what matter is in a soul? I'm not talking about matter being physical matter. That's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous argument. Well, I don't know. It's, it's ridiculous. ridiculous. I mean, that, to yeah, me, it is. You know, matter. What, what I'm not is, talking about physical matter. Operate? And you're commanding the no, I'm not uh, commanding uh, anything. I'm, ta- well, how I'm does talking. How does the soul operate? What does it operate on? It doesn't operate on a brain. It is well, not. I, so I'm, I understand that. What does it operate on? I'm not saying what it doesn't operate on. In your explanation, how does the soul? It operates. What is the soul? It on? operates on the essence of spirit, which is not. Definable. Well, one abstraction it, it doesn't matter. It is abstract. Well, and see, it, that's what, this is what happens in the conversation. You get you you get thrown into abstractions that you can't prove. It doesn't matter if it's not provable. I don't because need to. You're talking on belief. That's okay. That's that's what I'm saying. The only idea we have, the only criteria we have for the soul or the spirit is belief. Right. We believe that it's got to exist. That's, that's okay. On something. That's okay. I can, I can, I, but I, I don't, I don't need, I don't need, and you don't need scientific proof to argue the existence of a soul. I don't need it. And if a scientist wants to refute it, then the scientist can refute it. That's well, fine. That's, that's fine. And he can go and die and believe that he has no soul and, and go rot in his grave. I well, mean, or her grave. I don't want to be sexist. What I'm, what I'm challenging the, the discussion is, is what is this? Now, maybe if some great religious historian, pastor, can, can comprise a, a thought column that says, well, here's the soul. 
And I'm sure they're going to allude to the Bible and what God said and what Christ said and what Moses said or whatever, what Muhammad said. They're all going to have Buddha. Their, let's Buddha, not be, you know, Buddha, be inclusive. And and uh, the Wizard of Oz. So Confucius. If you know, we all have our arrangement of words that formulate into a, a grand display of abstraction, but it's still abstract. There's no scientific truth behind it. So it, it's something that is swayed by the eloquence of language, a language that reaches some emotional pitch that stems into the idea that you believe or have faith. And that's what most religious people will do. They'll just shrug off and say, well, that's what I believe. And ye of little faith. And all kinds of illusions that we replace in the form of abstract thought from rational thought. But really, to play the, uh, you know, the atheist advocate, there is a good argument for the existence of nothingness. The suffer said, being and nothingness. That's it. You're alive and you're dead. But then when you get into the idea of nothingness, there can be nothing without consciousness. So in order to have the concept of nothingness, you have to be conscious of nothingness. How can there be nothingness, nothingness without consciousness? Conscious. Right. So now we get into a, a deeper whirlpool of confusion in terms of trying to conceptualize what nothing is. Well, yeah, how do you conceptualize? Then there's a concept, so there's awareness. There's awareness. It's, 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 but it's, try to think, well, you think, well, okay, I know what I'll do. I'll just think, I'll close my eyes and think I'm in outer space. And this, and but it's outer space outer is space. outer space. That's a, that's a location. Yeah. But to think about it is even right. giving it, nothingness a definition. Right. So when so there so the word nothingness is a misnomer. There's nothing about nothingness that is real. You have to have no consciousness to understand to even conceptualize what nothingness is. So you're entrapped, and that's why we have the birth of existentialism. Even though there was a religious slant to it at the beginning, so the guard and people like this that promoted existentialism with some attitude of of a belief in something higher, and so you can have religious existentialists, spiritual existentialists, something that that distorts the idea that there is no God, no angels, no sphere out there, but there's got to be something. Well, that you know, I mean, you know, that's, whether Einstein says, "Well, the creator, the, the abstract thinker up there, the mathematician," even Leonardo da Vinci depicted uh, God with a ruler in his hand. So the idea, you know, there's got to be something—a marriage between the two somewhere. Only because the discussion has been given birth that there is a duality. And it's going to be that way until kingdom comes. Now, when does kingdom come? When life goes, kingdom comes. Um, yeah, but when? When? Well, you know, 
what do you say? Don't look for signs and wonders, you know. The end will come when the trumpet roars or whatever. So Sounds. the uh, trumpets roar. And, and then the question was asked, hey, are there animals in heaven? Hey. 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 Are there animals in heaven? Are there animals in heaven? Well, now, religious pastors and whatnot will say there is because there are. Uh, the lion will sleep, will rest with the lamb. The lion lamb. will sleep tonight. Or the lion will sleep tonight. The lion <laughs> will, will be at peace with the lamb. You know, I was just reading about this, too, about uh, that was a Quora question. Someone was asking about animals have souls. I didn't read the whole question. Uh, yeah. I should have answered there, it. There's a, there's a belief that there are animals, quote, in heaven, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, uh, Christ coming down on a horse, or the, you know, all these, one land, land all these things about that there seems to be allusions to animals. Read Revelation, you got all kinds of myth- yeah. mythological yeah. Uh, creations in there. But literally, animal, also animal species are in that. And even in the Old Testament. So, um, uh, and the lamb yeah, of God, then, you know, what's God? Okay, he has a bunch of lambs up there in his, outside his mansion. I mean, what is what is this idea that we have this this assemblage of life that seems to go beyond the physical stage? And where does that thought come from? Except for you know, but I love the word Bible stories. They don't say Bible facts. You know, the illustrated book of Bible stories. But very rarely do you, you, you can say facts of the Bible because the, there are statements in the Bible that according to the Bible are facts. But usually they're biblical stories, biblical narratives, things like this, because they can't really be proven, proven. except on some archaeological or historical sense that we need. Certain individuals existed and what the times were. But again, you know, it's sad that I mean, there's so much you know, the animal sacrifice in the Bible. I, I, you know, count, with the counterpoint of you know Noah's Noah's Ark, where animals were saved. You know. Well, that was to, because it's going to start the earth and the continuation of life. I but understand yeah, that, the but sacrifice, it's uh, just it's all terrible. Um, it really disturbing. Yeah. You know, that you'd have to kill an animal to appease God. Yeah, and even Jesus feeding people with fish. Yeah, you know, yeah. Loaves into fish and all yeah. this. Yeah, he was so peaceful after. Business. But he didn't proclaim to be peaceful. He was also a warrior. And he, did, he had his own form of violence uh, in the marketplace and whatnot. His anger arose. So there seems to be different. Sounds, mirrored, no, sounds familiar. Yeah. So, um, okay. So now we get down to the nitty gritty. To uh, the band. <laughs> uh, now we get down to the idea that uh, um, what is the nature of existence itself? And what's up with that? What's up with that? What's up with that? That was that guy on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Um, now he's got a popular TV show. Does he? 
Yeah. I didn't know that. What it really? Yeah. Is it funny? Show. I know if it's still on. Is it funny? No, it wasn't that funny. But he was funny on the Saturday night. Well, anyway, that was funny. You know. Yeah. Um, so, one part of the idea of the extension of life is in stargazing. And, of course, even in ancient biblical texts, the stars um, were worshipped. Now, Joseph, Joe Burns, but the stars were worshipped. And so, huh? Yeah, they found Christ's baby. Well, no, I mean, that's like, the, I mean, that was the well, but, ba- basic, basic point of Star Wars. I mean, the, that was the main, main event of Star, Star Wars. I wouldn't say Star Wars. Yeah. Being, I mean, George Lucas was, no. uh, you're right, just, he made a good point. No. Well, he made a lot of money. No. Oh, what? No, I'm just saying that was... <laughs> They weren't really worshiping a star. The star guided the three well, I mean. kings there was an awareness. to Jesus' no, birth site. We, but I'm then, talking about primitive tribes and going down further. The awareness okay. of life beyond the earth was in stargazing. Okay, I, but you're, I thought we were talking about the Bible. There. There's something out there. So then we had the sun god and the moon goddess and... Right, but in the Bible, we're talking the main the main event in the Bible in terms of the stars was Jesus' birth and the 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 star guiding. Well, in the New Testament. Right. But in the you know in 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 the beginning, I mean, um, in the beginning wasn't even the first chapter of Genesis. That's not how it, uh, Genesis starts. Um, well, in the beginning, there was void, but but uh, we misconstrue. There's another book in the Old Testament that actually has the original wordage of, the, of what we misconstrue to be the original passage of the Bible as it starts off. But again, that's narration. So that's narration. If we get into the Mayans uh, that have nothing to do with the Bible, and we get into their calculations of time and prediction. Even if we look at the idea that there are ancient tribes, now the Egyptians were experts of the underworld, and they they worship the journey of the soul after life. I mean, they had their myths and their stories about life itself and raw and all, everything, but they, they, their whole process, their whole idea of life was the journey of afterlife. So now we've got, where did that come from? In that terminology. That they'd have to be, and the great ritualistic uh, steps to mummification. Yeah, weren't the, the, the wives of the they all had to be killed. They were buried with the... The animals were buried with them. But weren't they buried alive with the pharaohs, the wives? Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and when we get into the Aztecs and um, 
horrible sacrifices in those regards. Uh, and all for the glory of some outstanding creator. They have to be appeased by the idea that you kill in order to please. Now that becomes a great distortion, especially in sadistic mind, that those sadistic minds that say, it gives me pleasure to kill. I like to kill. So the idea isn't too far from the idea of God or of a God that you kill to appease the God or the gods or a God. So now we have this idea of life is preserved through death. You know, if you kill a sacrifice, then we're going to be at peace with our creator or the, the big one up there and all will be fine. You have to appease by death. So this whole concept that we've got has become such an internal battle that has been externalized in action. Well, yeah, and then, uh, you know, people that are mentally ill take that concept to, I mean, with these mass shootings and... That's what I'm saying. You know, it, some, you know, gives them whatever their minds are warped beyond beyond recognition that death is pleasurable, and this, you know, even to the point that one can have the courage enough to actually kill oneself. Yeah, we had a recent in our in our area uh, event in church. Yeah, where there was a mass was killing. Mass killing. Uh, last weekend, you know, amongst elderly, elderly people, in a, in an area that is would never expect this to happen. I mean, who knows what yeah. the details are? The really, you know, men, he was mentally ill. His wife left him and lung cancer. And all. He had lung cancer. Well, his wife did. Oh, yeah. Well, he did, and his wife left, or his wife had it, and she got a divorce. She asked for a divorce. And he was deteriorating. He grew up in a very hostile situation, being Taiwan and Chinese, and suffered abuse. And he was a security guard. So, see, no, get that a, yeah. a security guard that ends up securing well, a church like, in order to kill this is, But this is my point, you know. The, Back to the earlier earlier statement about you know getting into a profession where you're supposed to be protecting people and then turning on those people because, you because know, you're you know the wronger abuse. So, I mean, his this was a diluted theme of Hitler so and the Jews. You know that you you exterminate you exterminate, and let's not forget what. The Spaniards did to the uh, Native Americans, you know, hacking off their legs and hands and all the atrocities that we have we have experienced. Because in all actuality, the origin of of the human content of the, of life was based on death, dust to dust. And we were not granted the passage of eternal life. So now 
Not only are we forbidden to enjoy the eternal pleasures of nature by it being excluded, expelled from the, quote, Garden of Eden, but now we must die. But I mean, if we had eternal yeah. But I mean, if we had eternal life in the condi- in the conditions of the planet as it is, that wouldn't be a good situation at all. I, I mean, it would be, you know, I mean, the Garden of Eden would be a different situation. Right. Well, you know, we. We, we we're kind of caught living in a violent living in a violent world and having eternal life would be terrible. Yeah, I mean the, the release of life, which is the release of suffering that we all would die, and then our belief patterns will go from there, whether we go on or not. But it's all tucked away in the brain pattern of. Whether it's instinct or something we've learned to, quote, believe in, because I don't think we're born, we don't, we aren't born to believe in God. We have to learn to believe in God. And so, and we have to learn to believe that there is no God. And we do that through experience. But, um, you know, as soon as we develop language and abstract thought, as soon as our brains develop into something that is maybe a product of our environment, we start to formulate the idea of what is existence if we ponder it that much. Right, but so, then you, sorry. I mean, I like the line in Woody Allen where the guy said, how do I know where there's a God? I don't even know how to work the toaster. So, I, you know, the some of it's just practical. What do you mean? You life, death. Look at you. Wake up. You have a family. You go to work. You come home. You have dinner. You watch TV. You take your shoes off. You wake up. You go to work, and you repeat the pattern. Right. Then Sunday you go to church, and that's your belief in God, and you think that you know you die and go to heaven, join your family there. I mean, that yeah. is the extent of people's belief in God, and they really do believe that they will end up in heaven because they have this loose attachment to their belief in God and their time is spent essentially living in a physical reality and, you know, 90% of their time is devoted to that physical reality and 10% is devoted to a spiritual, you know, devoting their energy to spiritual essence. So, Belief in God, I mean, when we're talking about belief in God, belief in God is, whether you believe in God or are an atheist, then we have to talk about belief in God and to what degree do you believe in God and what what degree is your energy devoted to that belief in God. Right. And what, so, and then what, what is, what, what constitutes that belief in God? Is it a religious religious energy or is it a spiritual essence is the spiritual essence um constituted with you know uh, you know this new age philosophy or is there true devotion to developing a a a real relationship with spirit i mean so there's degrees 
For sure. There's, you know, there's the embellishment. Tevya. Shalom Malachim. We'll call tradition. Tradition. Um, that we, we, we do certain ritualistic actions regarding our reverence to God, whether we wear prayer shawls or coverings over our head, whether we wrap the Torah in, in, in our habit that, that where the Torah's kept in the Torah the Torah is kept in a oh I think it's a collection it. it's contained within the, the I think the word there's a noun for it. But it doesn't matter, you know, the sacred text, whatever it may be, the holy book, the book of numbers, the secret book, it doesn't matter. There's sacred texts and there's certain traditions. And whether you're praying before a cross or you roll the rug down and you pray to Allah, whatever it may be, we have these certain ritualistic ritual stances, actions that we're to take to show that we respect something above and beyond our consciousness. Now, that's an abstraction. Religion is an abstraction. In its basic stripped-away terminology, it's believing in an abstraction. And you may consider it to be concrete, but it's still an abstraction because abstraction is not a naughty word. It can be a sacred word. Because you even will say, you don't, you know, God demands that he's not be known. He works in strange and mysterious ways. Not to mention um, Raymond, Raymond uh, Chandler. He's the great mystery guide. And so when we get into that idea of what is existence. And, what, and, what, and what's up with that? What's up with that? Um, so all we can really say in terms of that is we're doing our best to provide to the listening public out there that we're trying to play our part to serve and protect, to serve and, and, and provide knowledge, relief, whatever it may be, or in our psychic term, some sort of supernatural dialogue that penetrates the physicalities of time and space. And we have our 90-second warning. Yeah. So we are back on the air on, I was going to say, Monday. I don't know, maybe we should experiment with our time. I think we will. So we're, 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 we're TBA on our next show. We might be on at a different hour. I don't know, maybe the same day. So we'll, we'll um, stay tuned. We will uh, be scheduling our show, and I think the scheduling announcement comes out to those who follow us. So, yes, do follow us on Blog Talk Radio and on our Facebook page because you'll get an alert when our show is scheduled. Um, but likely we will be on the air sometime on Wednesday next week. Hope you have a good weekend. Bye-bye.